You're listening to Purpose Inspired, a podcast series by myself, Wayne Visser. This season is based on a book called The Age of Responsibility, CSR 2.0 and the New DNA of Business. Chapter 9, The Principle of Responsiveness. Case 8. His Royal Highness the Prince of Wales and the Corporate Leaders Group on Climate Change. We have begun to see, or I hope we have begun to see, that the particular model of industrialization we have adopted needs a bit of reviewing and reforming, along with the current paradigm of economics. In light of the huge and growing threats to our existence, let alone to the successful functioning of nature's delicate balance. In other words, we must put nature back at the centre of what needs to be a virtuous cycle. To be genuinely sustainable, we need a fresh approach. These words were spoken in July 2010 by His Royal Highness the Prince of Wales at the 25th anniversary of one of his oldest and most successful charities, Business in the Community, or BITC. It is a fitting place to begin this chapter on responsiveness because it demonstrates how Prince Charles, as an influential and sometimes controversial opinion leader, and as a convener of business through his charities, has been promoting the CSR principle of responsiveness for most of his very public life. As former CEO of Walmart Lee Scott put it, the Prince of Wales was a leader in sustainability long before sustainability was cool. He has been making the business case for sustainability for decades. That being said, in his early public life, Prince Charles was better known for his outspoken and sometimes unpopular views on architecture, especially for saying things like, what is proposed is like a monstrous carbuncle on the face of a much-loved and elegant friend, in reference to an extension to the facade of the National Gallery. His critical stance on the agrochemical industry and his support for organic farming long before these views became more mainstream also earned him a bit of a reputation as a Luddite. Fully aware that his ideas were sometimes portrayed as old-fashioned, Prince Charles was clear in his rebuttal. Well, they may be, but what I am concerned about are the things that are timeless regardless of the age that we live in. Also, I have been around long enough to see that what were at the time thought of as old-fashioned ideas now come into vogue. What Prince Charles understands, and business leaders can learn from, is that to be responsive to the long-term needs of society and the planet is not necessarily a recipe for popularity. It requires that you take sides with the voiceless and vulnerable and endure the barbed attacks of those in power that have a vested interest in the status quo. In Prince Charles's case, responsiveness has meant using his convening power to focus attention and action on the most pressing needs of our day. Most often, this is through the Prince's Charities, a group of 20 not-for-profit organisations addressing areas as diverse as opportunity and enterprise, education, health, the built environment, responsible business and the natural environment. Today, this group is the largest multi-cause charitable enterprise in the UK, raising over £130 million annually. 
As a case study in responsiveness, this story could just as easily focus on any one of these causes or the numerous projects that the Prince has championed over the years, whether it be the Prince's Trust, which has helped 550,000 vulnerable young people since it was founded in 1976, or Youth Business International, which supports disadvantaged young people to become entrepreneurs, or Dutchy Originals, the organic food company he set up in 1992, or Accounting for Sustainability, which launched in 2006 to help organisations measure more effectively the wider environmental and social costs of their actions. Or perhaps the Prince's Rainforest Project, established in 2007 as the biggest single and immediate opportunity to combat climate change. Or even his START programme, launched in 2010 to extol the virtues of a sustainability revolution. I am choosing, however, to focus on one initiative in particular, the Prince of Wales's Corporate Leaders Group on Climate Change, or the CLG, which was set up in 2005 as part of his long-standing and pioneering Business and the Environment programme that the University of Cambridge Programme for Sustainability Leadership has run on his behalf since 1994. As will become clear, CLG is an inspiring example of responsiveness by business, set against the backdrop of a world in which negative, obstructive lobbying by companies to avoid greater regulation has become the disappointing norm. In 2005, Sustainability and WWF released a report entitled Influencing Power, which ranked the world's top 100 companies on the transparency of their lobbying activities and contrasted this with their public statements on CSR. Their conclusion was that even among those companies that ranked well in ethical terms on lobbying, their focus is generally on defending often controversial positions rather than on how corporate responsibility and policy activities can support core business strategies. Given this reality then, how did a group of British business leaders change lobbying from a dirty word and a defensive tactic into a force for genuinely progressive corporate sustainability and responsibility? It all began in September 2004, when British Prime Minister Tony Blair, in a speech at the Prince of Wales' Business and the Environment Programme's 10th anniversary event, issued a challenge to business to do more on climate change. In response, a group of CEOs and senior executives, initially representing 13 companies, ranging from HSBC and Sun Microsystems to Shell and Johnson Matthey, formed the CLG under the leadership and patronage of Prince Charles. Having set themselves a bold mission to trigger the step change in policy and action needed, both to meet the scale of the threat posed by climate change and to grasp the business opportunities created by moving to a low climate risk economy, the CLG's first action was to deliver a bold and surprising message to the Prime Minister in the form of an open letter issued in May 2005. First, they stated that investing in a low-carbon future should be a strategic business objective for UK PLC as a whole. However, to do this, a debilitating impasse needed to be resolved. 
they explained that the private sector and governments are in a catch-22 situation with regard to tackling climate change, in which governments feel limited in their ability to introduce new climate change policy because they fear business resistance, while companies are unable to scale up investment in low-carbon solutions because of the absence of long-term policies. Citing the International Energy Agency's calculations that $16 trillion of energy infrastructure investment will be needed worldwide over the next 25 years to satisfy the world's growing energy needs, the CLG suggests that this can be set as a stage for enormous commercial opportunities for Britain if it is coupled with a shift to a low-carbon economy. However, to grasp these opportunities, it argued, business needs more, not less, regulation. In particular, the Corporate Leaders Group asked Blair to work on extended targets for emissions trading policies to 2025, and thereby to increase market confidence and reduce the risk of investing in low-carbon technology. This savvy strategy of creating permission for politicians to act boldly paid off. In an article in the International Chamber of Commerce International Energy Review, Cambridge University's Alad Jones and Margaret Aidy state that by developing a high-level political strategy with well-positioned messages, the CLG has emboldened senior politicians to make decisions on climate policy that go further than they would have done otherwise. Indeed, UK government insiders report that the CLG has had a direct impact on policy-making decisions relating to the UK's EU emissions trading scheme, national allocation plan targets, and the 2006 UK Energy Review. Encouraged by the success, the CLG continued to grow its corporate membership and issue ever more ambitious consensus statements either in annual letters to the Prime Minister or as communiques at major international climate meetings. For example, in 2006, the Bali communique, signed by the CEOs of 150 global companies, called for comprehensive, legally binding United Nations frameworks to tackle climate change and concluded that, as business leaders, it is our belief that the benefits of strong early action on climate change outweigh the costs of not acting. Commenting further, Alan Grenzi, CEO of FNC Asset Management, said, Business and investors can only play their part in tackling climate change if governments take decisive action to make this possible. This problem will not get solved through market forces alone in the time that we have left to act because climate change represents a textbook example of market failure. This means that voluntary targets just won't do. Business needs a level playing field in order to take on the financial risks that adequate action on climate change requires. In 2008, the CLG wrote to UK political party leaders and warned that while the economic slowdown may cause some to question whether the UK can afford to act so boldly, action cannot be delayed, and that decisive action will stimulate economic activity and job creation. It went on to say that incremental change will not do, a message echoed in the Poznan communique issued later that year. In particular, the CLG stated that we must deliver deep and rapid cuts in greenhouse gases. 
adding that any credible comprehensive agreement must include mechanisms to reduce tropical deforestation. Meanwhile, the UK Corporate Leaders Group had spun off an EU group that was lobbying for bolder political leadership on climate change by Eurocrats. In the lead-up to the UN climate negotiations in Copenhagen in 2009, the EU CLG sent an unequivocal message to sitting EU President José Manuel Barroso that a weak deal in Copenhagen would be bad for the climate and bad for the economy. Furthermore, they expressed concern that the EU's leadership advantage on the low-carbon agenda was under threat, as other countries used their economic stimulus packages to promote investment in green technologies. The EU could see itself left behind in the clean technology race, when China and other major emerging economies are already making large-scale investments in this area. At the UN meeting itself, the CLG launched its Copenhagen communique, endorsed by over 950 major companies from more than 60 countries, calling on world leaders to agree an ambitious, robust and equitable global deal on climate change that responds credibly to the scale and urgency of the crisis facing the world today. It went on to say that it is critical that we exit this recession in a way that lays the foundation for low-carbon growth and avoids locking us into a high-carbon future. Prince Charles was also in attendance at the Copenhagen meeting, urging the world's political leaders to take their responsibility seriously, saying, We live in times of great consequence and therefore great opportunity. Just as mankind had the power to push the world to the brink, so too do we have the power to bring it back into balance. You have been called to positions of responsibility at this critical time. The eyes of the world are upon you, and it is no understatement to say that with your signatures, you can write our future. Given all of this momentum and business support, the failure to broker a deal in Copenhagen was a bitter disappointment to so many people at so many levels. But this hasn't blunted the CLG's resolve. In 2010, the group was still pressing the EU to go further, faster. In particular, to revise its 20% greenhouse gas reduction target for 2020, upwards towards a more ambitious target. The CEO of Philips Lighting said, Now is not the time for the EU to step on the brakes and give up its leadership position. At Philips, we have set the ambitious target to get improvements in energy efficiency of our entire portfolio of 50% by 2015. We believe we can set even more ambitious targets for beyond 2015 if the EU provides a clear, ambitious and long-term commitment towards a low-carbon economy. The Prince has also not given up setting a bold, responsive agenda – In a speech to the CLG in July 2010, he once again threw down the gauntlet, saying, The challenge that I would like to lay before every single member of the Corporate Leaders Group on Climate Change is simple. Will you stand up and be counted? At every opportunity, will you confront the sceptics and tell them they are wrong? Will you challenge your in-house economists with the urgent need to define a new paradigm? In other words, a macroeconomics for sustainability. Will you use your power 
in your brands and your power through your communications and most of all your marketing teams to support what the science tells us and if necessary be prepared to take risks with your reputation to ensure that you are on the right side of the debate. If you don't pick up this challenge and inspire many others, particularly those in your supply chains, then I fear the battle will be lost. Prince Charles reminds us that responsiveness does not have to be all about doom and gloom or suffering and sacrifices. He says, With issues of such magnitude, it is easy to focus solely on the challenges, the worst-case scenarios, the what-ifs of failure. But take a moment to consider the opportunities if we succeed. Imagine a healthier, safer and more sustainable, economically robust world. Because if we share in that vision, we can share the will to action that is now required.